Ladies and gentlemen, start your stopwatches because you're listening to the dispatches on the clock and that means we're going to spend the next 15 minutes or less. Okay, so we're probably going to take a little bit longer than 15 minutes today, but I think this topic is really worth it because we're going to spend this podcast episode talking about yesterday's one-year anniversary of the violent end to the anti-mandate protest outside Parliament. And I want to ask the very important question, what if we all just forgave each other? So yesterday marked the one-year anniversary of the ending of the parliamentary protest, the anti-mandate protest that had been happening outside Parliament for several weeks. And as you are well aware, in the final hours of that final day of the protest, it came to a violent conclusion. And as probably would be expected one year later, the coverage went back into those events and in many ways, there was a little bit of relitigation that happened. There was the usual, probably, recriminations. There were people on both sides, sadly, who were just throwing petrol on the fire. And I was thinking about this last night as I went to sleep and how one year later, it seems we still haven't resolved much, if anything at all, in relation to that original incident. And as I was dozing off or about to doze off to sleep, it just sort of popped into my head what if we actually just forgave each other? What if we actually stopped with all of the inflammatory accusations, the throwing petrol on the fire, the anger, the hatred, the vitriol, the condescending talk that's happening all over the place, and we just chose to forgive each other? What if I forgave the protesters who abused the police, calling them all sorts of names and even spitting on them and things like that? What if I forgave the protesters who used violence, who threw things at the police, who attacked police? What if I forgave the New Zealand police for escalating the situation by choosing to use force, physical force, to bring an end to the protest a year ago yesterday? And this is a bit of a side note. Monday's uh, patrons-only episode of the Dispatches podcast is going to talk about this issue because l- looking back at some of the footage now and seeing a bit more of a timeline of what happened, you know, all of the events actually put together, it's pretty clear to me now that this was actually very dangerous what happened. The decision that the police made was very, very risky, and I think that's a conversation we need to have, but I will talk about that on Monday's episode because that's not the topic of today's show, but what if I forgave the police is the question today for escalating the situation with the use of force? What if I forgave the police who used unnecessary violence on the protesters? And there is plenty of footage where we can see police officers using what appears to be absolutely unjustified levels of violence on protesters who are not in any way... So we're not talking about people who are attacking the police and the police defending themselves, which is absolutely justified, but we're talking about the police initiating violence when it's not justified. What if I forgave the political leaders who refused over the many days of this protest to try and broker peace? What if I actually forgave those leaders who, and by the way, this was a moment which really shows whether you've got leaders of character and courage. This was a moment where such leaders would have stepped up. And sadly, no one from that parliament 
stepped up. And that is a great tragedy. But what if I forgave the politicians who refused, who just hunkered down in Parliament and refused to actually try and broker peace, to try and do the diplomatic thing to bring an end to this protest in a peaceful way? What if I forgave the political leaders who actually chose to inflame the situation? For example, what if I forgave Labour MP Michael Wood for his truly awful river of filth speech that he gave a year ago? This was not the kind of thing that a leader of moral character and courage and conviction does. In fact, it was a very dangerous thing to do. Not just truly awful, but actually dangerous. Because the first step in any sort of atrocity that happens within a nation is when you start to get, particularly at the state level, so from officials and your government leaders, your MPs, is dehumanisation of groups of people. And that's exactly what that speech did. When you refer to an entire group of people as a river of filth, you are dehumanising them. And the danger there, the great danger there is that if they're not human, then they don't deserve respect. And the most typical form of dehumanisation, by the way, throughout human history, where you have a dehumanisation that leads to atrocity, is the people are referred to in the terms of disease, infection, filth, that kind of thing. And so calling them a river of filth was a very dangerous and immoral thing to do. And when you dehumanise people in this way, like I said, they're not worthy of respect at that point. It's okay not to respect them. It's okay to use whatever force or toxic chemicals you need to to cleanse away a river of filth, right? That's a very, very dangerous thing to do. But what if I forgave Michael Wood for that? What if I forgave journalist David Fisher, who yesterday went back and regurgitated that river of filth speech in an article that he published, and he also tried to claim that that speech was actually okay and it wasn't a bad thing and that people were just misunderstood. But what if I forgave David Fisher? And that's something I had to do because, as I said, reading that upset me. What if I forgave the Prime Minister and her government members for enacting the unjust policy of vaccine-related segregation in the first place. And by the way, for those who maybe aren't aware or maybe have forgotten, this was not a justified policy and it wasn't a zero-sum game. So first of all, right back in January 2021, the World Health Organization issued a statement, and they were very clear, this is some months before our vaccine segregation policy came in, and they were very, very clear that the vaccine, there was no evidence to show that the vaccine reduced transmission in any meaningful way. We know now that Pfizer actually never even tested at all for whether or not the vaccine would be effective at reducing transmission. So I'm not even sure where this idea came from. It's certainly something that a lot of political leaders around the world were talking about and were using as a justification for these sorts of policies but I'm not sure where that came from because Pfizer themselves have said, well, we never tested for that. In February 2022, this is some weeks after our government had introduced a vaccine-based segregation policies here in New Zealand, the UK Health Security Agency published a study in which they found that initially you only got a 31% transmission reduction effect related to the vaccine, and that was initially, and it waned pretty quickly. 
So there was never any real justification for this policy at all. And not only that, but it wasn't a zero-sum game. We're talking here about a policy which cost people their jobs. It cost people their houses and homes. It robbed people and denied people the ability to worship with members of their worshipping community. It denied young people the ability to play sport. It denied parents the ability to go and see their children play sport. It tore our communities apart. And we've had at least one of our vaccine-related deaths here in New Zealand that I think can be attributed to this particular segregation policy. This is a death that the coroner has ruled was caused by the vaccine. And it was a young man in his mid-twenties who realistically didn't even really need the vaccine. It's, it's, there's no other underlying health conditions that we're aware of. And because we refused to actually treat COVID properly and stratify the risk, instead we acted like everyone was at equal risk when they never were, this vaccine segregation policy also applied to him. And subsequent to his death, which, as I said, the coroner has ruled was caused by the vaccine, his partner and his family have testified that he was reluctant to actually get the vaccine, but the reason he went and got it was because him and his partner wanted to get married and they were afraid that the vaccine segregation policy would mean that they couldn't actually have everyone they wanted to there present to celebrate their wedding. So I don't think it's unreasonable to say that if that vaccine segregation policy had not been enacted and in place, then that young man would probably still be with us today and happily married. So am I going to forgive the Prime Minister and her Cabinet for enacting that policy? a policy which led directly to the events that we saw outside Parliament? Am I going to forgive those who acted in anger or lacked virtue in their response to the vaccine policy, those who were abusive and toxic in their behaviours, who didn't show charity? Am I going to forgive those who might have acted maliciously and for whatever reason uh, exploited this situation for their own gain and maybe even exploited a, a marginalised population? for their own gain at different times? Am I going to forgive those people? What if I, as a journalist, forgave the protesters and others who insulted me and called me names and questioned my integrity? What if I, as a protester, forgave the journalists for any bias, any factual errors, or any lack of empathy for those of us who are suffering in their coverage of these events and the mandates? What if I forgave, I'm a Catholic, so what if I forgave my bishops for going along with and enacting vaccine segregation in our congregations so that people were excluded from the worshipping community, from the worship of Jesus, because they were deemed to be medically unacceptable? What if I forgave the people in my own congregation who just acquiesced and went along with that instead of standing up and saying, no, this is not a good thing and we shouldn't be doing it? And by the way, for those who are wondering, this is something that I've actually done because I believe that you should have integrity and you should actually walk the talk and not be a hypocrite. So I've put my money where my mouth is and in actual fact just this morning I went back again and I deliberately made sure that I went through that list and forgave everybody just in case I hadn't already done that. So what is forgiveness? And I think this is important to understand so there's no confusion here. Forgiveness is the deliberate 
intentional action of letting go of bitterness, of resentment, of hate, of anger. It is the deliberate, intentional choice to refuse to be hateful towards another, to refuse to hold bitterness, to refuse to be resentful, to refuse anger against another person, even when you are the one who has been wronged. Now, forgiveness is not indifference. It is not indifference. It's not turning a blind eye or pretending that it didn't really happen or just say, well, let's just move on and not talk about it. There was one article yesterday in the Herald, I think it was, where a journalist did their best to try and interview and speak to different politicians about the anniversary, the one-year anniversary of this event and what had happened. And basically, in a nutshell, almost none of the politicians from the Prime Minister right on down wanted to actually talk about it. And the general tone was, well, it's all in the past. I would argue that that's not forgiveness. That That's what I would call indifference. And so what this means is that you can have forgiveness and still have important conversations about what went on. You don't suddenly just pretend nothing happened. But the way you conduct those conversations now is from a posture where you have intentionally chosen not to hate, not to be bitter, not to be resentful, not to be angry, but to actually have a genuine civil dialogue. Forgiveness is also not normally a one-off thing. It is a proactive attitude of the heart and of the mind, a state of heart, a state of mind, that you often have to keep revisiting and choosing to live intentionally in that posture of forgiveness. A great example was that article yesterday by David Fisher, where he tried to suggest that that river of filth speech was actually okay or was justified or it was completely misunderstood. And in that moment, I found myself upset and frustrated by that article. I had to make a choice subsequently to actually go back into that posture of forgiveness and not to revisit and go back into a posture of bitterness or resentment or anger about that. And this, by the way, is where Christian forgiveness is coupled with and inseparable from this call to love. So Christian forgiveness is, is I think, even more challenging because what tends to happen today in the modern psychologically focused environment we live in, the very sort of therapeutic self-referential culture that we are encouraged to live in as a norm is that we now tend to think of forgiveness as a self-referential and self-beneficial posture. But in actual fact, traditionally, forgiveness and forgiveness at its greatest comes to us from Christianity. And traditionally, it is not and cannot ever be separated and must always be coupled with the call to love your neighbor, and also to love those people who have wronged you. So it's not actually self-referential. When you love another person, you desire their good. You will their good. And you, if the opportunity presents, you will even work for their good. You seek the good of another. That's a whole nother level altogether. And you realize at that point that authentic forgiveness and full forgiveness is not actually self-referential. It's not simply, well, I choose to forgive you, but it's, I will actually love you. I will seek your good. It is a proactive movement of love. And here's the thing about love. What that means is that sometimes love actually requires us to tell the truth to other people. And so therefore, forgiveness is not indifference. It's not, let's pretend there was no one who was hurt. 
by this vaccine policy. Let's pretend that there was no one who was hurt by the actions of those people who were violent at the very end of the protest. No, forgiveness is not indifference. Forgiveness is a posture where we can have conversations and we can revisit those issues when that is needed. And I think it is needed in our society, by the way, here in New Zealand today. But we revisit that issue from a posture of love, where we seek the good of each other, where all sides are doing that. And this is important, because I think that if you're going to have a civilized society, you need to actually be able to have robust conversations and to tell the truth about matters and to dialogue with each other fully and frankly about things that matter. And I think this is an issue that has clearly affected our society. It is a thing that actually really matters. And it is really important for the public life of a nation that we can have dialogue. But to have that dialogue, we've actually got to have a a place where we come to the table without the hatred, without the vitriol, without the resentment and anger. Otherwise, we can never hope to actually have meaningful dialogue. So why does all of this matter so much, just to conclude with? Well, it matters because... Bitterness is a toxic poison. It poisons the individual, and it is also a corporate poison. It poisons the community as well. As the old saying goes, holding bitterness and resentment and anger and hate in your heart, unforgiveness in your heart towards another person, that's like drinking poison and hoping that those who wronged you will suffer the effects of drinking that poison. They won't. All you end up doing is poisoning yourself. And I would argue that the second most important step that we can take in overcoming the tribalism, which has now become rampant in our society, and actually moving towards healing these divisions because they're very real. There are very real and very serious divisions in our society. And I think the only way we can begin to move forward and move away from tribalism and move closer towards healing and authentic community with other people is if we actually have a posture of forgiveness. And I say that's the second most important step because I think the first is honesty. You need to be honest first that there's actually a problem, that there's a sickness that needs to be healed. And then we need to be honest with ourselves as to whether or not we do actually have forgiveness in our heart or whether or not we actually have bitterness. We need to be honest about any resentments, any anger, any hatred that we have, and then address that. But if we forgive each other, that is one of the most fundamental and essential requirements for us beginning to move forward, for moving away from tribalism and moving towards healing the divisions that exist in our society. Without that, we don't have a hope of getting there. It's just that simple. It is just that simple. And all of us have got to take responsibility. And only I, as an individual, can take responsibility for what's going on in my heart and my mind. My interior life is my responsibility. What happened to me because of this policy is something that was enacted outside of me and my life, and it affected my life. But what I choose to do in response to that, that's my responsibility and mine alone. I think forgiveness is kind of like extracting poison from a wound. 
So the first thing is you need to actually acknowledge there is a wound and we've got a wound in our society. There's no doubt about that. And then what you need to do is you need to actually extract the poisons and then you sew the wound up and the healing process can begin. It's no good administering, I don't know, medications or stitches or whatever it might be to someone who's got a wound if you haven't first actually cleansed the wound. And the thing about a wound is that you can cleanse it and then it can subsequently become reinfected and so you have to cleanse it again. Forgiveness is the act of cleansing the wound so that the healing can actually begin. But if you don't cleanse the wound, you don't have much hope of healing the body. You see, I I want greater dialogue in our country. And I really mean that. I want genuine dialogue between people about big issues that matter. And this was one of those big issues that really mattered. But that can only happen if I don't adopt the posture of viewing those who disagree with me or those who might have wronged me through the lens of hatred or bitterness, resentment or anger. I can't have that dialogue if that's how I approach the table because all I'm going to do is I am going to seethe in a very dark cloud of rage and self-obsession and I'm not going to see you. I'm not going to see beyond that. I'm not actually going to be able to even listen, let alone move forward with you. So forgiveness is absolutely essential, which is why I ask again one year later, what if we all just forgave each other? And that's as simple as choosing to forgive and then naming, I would suggest, out loud, literally just saying, I forgive this person for doing this thing. I forgive this group of people for doing this thing. It's really that simple. So again, what if we all just forgave each other? Thank you again for tuning into this episode. Don't forget, live by goodness, truth, and beauty, not by lies. And I will see you next time on The Dispatches. On the Clock is brought to you by Left Foot Media. Support our important independent media work at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia with just $5 or more per month and you'll receive exclusive access to our full-length patrons-only episode of the Dispatches podcast every single week. That's patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. Link is in the show notes. Mm-hmm.